Well now, good and gracious God, in these moments may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, friends, brothers and sisters, grace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ and peace. I still remember the conversation I had with a husband and wife who were members of the church that I belonged to when I was in college. Uh, I was in the early stages of thinking about going to seminary. And one Sunday after worship, I happened to mention that to this couple. And the woman was quick with a question. Well, what's your spiritual gift, she said to me. What category of gift do you have? And, and, and what subcategory of gift? Her questions were so unexpected and abrupt, I was a little flustered. At the ripe old age of 22, I could identify some things I loved doing and that I hoped made a contribution in my church, but whether or not these were my spiritual gifts, I really couldn't say. And because I wasn't sure in that moment whether my spiritual gift was administrative or motivational or ministerial or any number of three dozen categories that had come up at the spiritual gifts conference they had just returned from, they strongly advised me not to go to seminary. If you don't know your spiritual gift, they said, you have no business going into the ministry. But I was just ornery enough to go anyway. It's a mistake for any church to limit the movement of God in someone's life to some score on a mass market inventory. At the same time, it's good and right and faithful to ask, what is my God-given contribution in the church? In what ways has God gifted me, empowered me for the benefit of the community and the world? Can the Bible help me in my discernment with these things? Well, this morning, without coming anywhere close to all that could be said about the gifts of Holy Spirit, let's see this morning what the Apostle Paul had to say in his letter to the Corinthian church. No one says more about the Holy Spirit's gifts than Paul. And his letter to the Corinthians is one of three letters in which Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. He also brings it up in Romans 12, Ephesians 4. But here in Corinth, Paul, Paul loved this congregation. It was a congregation he founded along with Silas and young Timothy and with the help of a married couple, Priscilla and Aquila. He stayed with that church for a year and a half, longer than he ever stayed with another church. And at the time of this writing, he's been gone from them now for about 18 months and he's writing to them from Ephesus. And as Paul does in others of his letters, what he's doing here is addressing certain situations that have come up in this church that he has heard about now from other people. And the background of the particular text that you just heard Christina read so beautifully is some congregational division in Corinth over the, spirit, over the, over the topic of spiritual gifts, specifically the gift of tongues which has become, for some in the congregation, a source of spiritual pride. Some in the church regard uh, their glossolalia, which is an unintelligible prayer language, 
uh, to be the language of angels. And so they were viewing other people's gifts as inferior. And there were some hurt feelings about this in the church. And so in his letter to them, Paul addresses this somewhat tense situation. But even though their concerns are practical and very specific to them, Paul's response to them is wonderfully theological in a way that still speaks to us 2,000 years later. And as he writes to them, and you, you, you can tell he, he, he's a pastor who loves them, it, just in the way that he talks with them here. The ways of the Spirit, he says, are complex, and they're often misunderstood. But, but I want you to be informed, friends. I want you to be knowledgeable. And he writes a little more. And then a few verses later, Paul gets to the heart of the matter in verse 7 of chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians. Each one of you, he says, has been given a gift, a gift that in some way reveals the spirit of God. Every believer, he says, which includes you and me, is gifted in such a way that benefits the whole body. Now, as he talks here, Paul uses the word charisma, charis, grace, and the little suffix ma, which refers to the result of an action. So in this case, something that results from grace. It's a grace gift. And in doing this, in tying the gifts to grace, you see what Paul is doing? Paul puts the emphasis on the source of the gift rather than the gift itself. It's not important what the gift is. It's all about the one who gives. It's all about God. He says, God's gifts are handed out everywhere. God's ministries are carried out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. Each person, says Paul, is given something to do that shows who God is. And then he goes on to write for three whole chapters about the gifts themselves. And you heard part of it just now. So two points I'd like to make here. First, when writing to the Corinthian believers about the gifts of the Spirit, Paul is not handing out here a definitive list. He, he illustrates the grand variety of the work of the Spirit by mentioning several gifts, but he by no means is suggesting that these are all the gifts they are. Uh, hence, that inventory that I was supposed to have taken would, would have been quite finite. In letters to the, Ro the, the, the churches at Rome and Ephesus, Paul named different gifts in those letters. And so, so it's not a finite definitive list that he's giving them here. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. The Holy Spirit's gifts are for the purpose of strengthening and equipping Christ's body, the church. The gifts of the Spirit aren't intended for private enjoyment or edification, certainly not as a source of pride. They're to be shared for the building up of the body, the community of Christ. I heard a story once about something that happened to Fred Craddock when he was preaching out in Casper, Wyoming. It was late April, and back in Atlanta, where Craddock lived, it was already warm. Spring had been there for a while. And so Fred brought to Wyoming clothes that were suitable for springtime. Well, it wasn't warm in Casper. It wasn't springtime in Wyoming. 
And he got there on Saturday afternoon and the host said, we've got some time before supper. Would you like to go up on Casper Mountain? And Craddock didn't, but they did. And so up on the mountain, there were piles of snow, dirty old brown snow that had been there for a while, sort of like now on the sidewalks of Washington. And the wind, he said, just whistled down from the north, cold and fierce, and Craddock was freezing. His host was was there pointing out all the beautiful scenery. Isn't that lovely? Look, there's a herd of antelope. And Craddock is thinking to himself, I'm freezing to death up here. When suddenly he felt something warm on the back of his neck and around his shoulders. And he turned and there was a woman. He had never seen her before. And she put a sweater around him and she said, it's more beautiful if you wear this. And Craddock said she was right. Suddenly the scenery was glorious. And oh, look, there's a herd of antelope. He heard an engine start and he turned around and there was the woman getting ready to drive away. And he ran up to her car and tapped on the window and said, you forgot your sweater. And she said, oh no, someone else will need it. And sure enough, before Craddock and his host had left the mountain... He saw a young couple in their 20s, he wearing a Levi's jacket, explaining everything to her, she wearing nothing but short sleeves and not hearing a word. And Craddock put the sweater around her shoulders and said, it's more beautiful if you wear this. And he said later, for all he knew, that sweater was still up on the mountain, going from shoulder to shoulder to shoulder. But friends, this is what warms our individual faith. Letting ourselves be clothed, clothing one another in gifts that are no longer privately yours and mine, but passed around, shared for the benefit and the building up of the body. So what does this mean for us today? Friends, the way Holy Spirit is seen through you will be different from the ways Holy Spirit is revealed through me. And what that's going to look like in this place, who can say? The important thing, the essential thing to remember is that you have a part to play in this body called First Baptist Church. Borrowing from the body imagery of Paul, are you a toe? Are you a bicuspid? Are you a liver? a knee, an elbow? What's your part in the body and what are you going to do with it? Some of you in this room have had a knee replaced, I know, and you know what it feels like when your knees aren't working for you. And if at First Baptist we have some knees who aren't doing the knee thing, then you know what? This body is going to walk out into the world stiff and awkward because we're missing you. And if you've ever tried to pick anything up, even a fork full of food to your mouth without using your elbow, ha, without you elbows out there, there'll be things that God means for this church to pick up and carry that we can't without you. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, every part is dependent on every other part, the parts we mention and the parts we don't, the parts we see and the parts we don't. He says, only as you accept your part of the body does your part mean anything. 
Maybe your earwax. I don't know. But listen, anybody who's ever had an earache because of the cold wind whistling in your ear canal knows how important earwax is. You have a part to play. And the gifts of the Spirit may be as large-scale as Millard Fuller building habitat homes around the world for the working poor, or as unassuming as Mike and Janice and Ellen running to Costco for bologna and cheese to make sandwiches for the homeless. Can you imagine this church without the inspired teaching of our Bible study leaders? Or the gifts of discernment and care that we see in our deacons? Don't you just see more of God through the hospitality of the women and men and children who welcome us through these doors each week? And can you imagine this church without the gifts of compassion and leadership and artistry and service and truth-telling and administration and encouragement that we experience on a regular basis here? And these are just a sampling of the gifts we regularly depend on to be this church. And when the gifts are missing, friends, we feel it. We really do. One of our prayers at First Baptist Church is that 100% of those who call this church home will find some way to, as we put it, come out of the stands and get on the field and in the game. Why? Because in the body of Christ, membership means ministry. Or membership means nothing at all. Oh, what it would mean if all the members of this body, the toes, the elbows, the left earlobes, the lungs, if all the body parts were to do and to be what they were gifted by God to do and to be. In the name of Jesus Christ, friends, I'm calling all of you today to commit your part to this church's life and work. Let love take you by the hand and lead you into the place of saying in faith, God, I'm yours. And with every gift you've poured into me, help me do something worthy for Christ's sake and the church's sake, for my sake and for the sake of the world. May God make it so. Amen.